Split Tube Media and a Synesthesia Podcast present a special daily October podcast. Hell, 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 hell. to the king, king, king. Jason, have you read Stephen King's books? Read Stephen King's books, 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 King movie, a Stephen King movie. King movie, a Stephen King movie. King movie, a Stephen King movie. I have done my best. To scare the shit out of you guys. So <laughs> I'm crying while I say it. <laughs> uh, 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 we haven't even started and we're making our guest cry. Hello and welcome back to a special October daily edition of the Stenesthesia Podcast. Hell to the King. Guys, we made it a week. This is episode seven. There's only three more weeks to go, and then we get to kill ourselves. I thought Uh, we got to sleep after a week, Jason. Sleep forever. (laughs) Sleep is for the week. That's what they always say. Sleep is for the one week, Mark. (laughs) Uh, Oh, there's a third laugh in the mix. (laughs) Joining Jim and Jason tonight is... Amanda Gotera, part-time filmmaker, full-time animation compositor. Uh-huh. And yeah. my friend. Filmmaker filmmaker by night, animation compositor by day, allergic to many things, I'm assuming, including silver bullets. You know, I've not tried that one yet. Uh, it's possible. Can you wear silver jewelry? I have an aunt who can't wear silver jewelry. No, I can wear silver jewelry. I can't, unless it's like a necklace that is fairly tight, because I get real anxious if anything is around my neck. Like, That's a tightness issue, though, right? Yeah, it's not a silver issue. Hmm. All right, allergic to necklaces. Chokers, specifically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all, in a way, we're all allergic to bullets, silver <laughs> or not. Yeah, it's true. That's very true. Guys, we watched Firestarter. Yes. Did we? Um, this is our seventh episode, 11th movie going chronologically through all major Stephen King adaptations, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, excluding long TV series, student movies, and probably something else that I've just missed. Yeah. But uh, so far, we're we're going okay. Yeah. Amanda, because nothing's gone up yet, you haven't heard any of this podcast. Yeah, I'm just... Podcast. I have no idea what's, what to expect. Yeah. Uh, well, it, nobody does. We're shrouded in mystery. Uh, we we started this podcast. Right <laughs> yeah. Well, this is, our, this is my ghost costume because we're releasing these for October. I figured, you know, yeah. You, gotta, um, you have to get in the mood. Yeah. Uh, hey guys, have you seen this movie Firestarter? Hey. <laughs> Funny you should say that because I did watch it this week. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Oh, why did you yes. do that? <laughs> uh, this is a, a beautiful coincidence. Uh, I haven't been able to stop thinking about it, but I don't know if in a good way. Okay. 
So that actually reminds me what I was going to say, which is that we started this podcast with a thesis mm. uh, or competing theses, as theses. it were. Uh, theses. Theses. Um, Jim, th- Jim threw his theses at me. <laughs> Competitive. Um, it's a sport. <laughs> uh, Jim came into this believing uh, a two-pronged belief. One, that there was no such thing as a bad Stephen King movie, and that two, therefore, there could not be such a thing as a bad Stephen King movie made. Correct. Um, Correct in that I that was in, my belief. <laughs> <laughs> I, I came in with the belief that most Stephen King movies are bad, and when they're good, it is a rare thing. Okay. Um, so far, we're both being proven wrong, which is yeah. nice. I, uh, I would but, say on the balance so far, coming into today, we've watched, what, 11 movies, and only two of them have been, I think, bad. Right? Like, Cujo That's is a real drag, and Children of the Corn is pretty boring with some highlights. Um, yeah, although I, like I will, I will say whole, that, like... On the rest have been decent. On the whole, they've been... Yeah, no, on the whole, they've been way better than I expected. Yeah. Um, I will say that, like, there's there's been an element of, I don't know, like, Creepshow 2 wasn't the best. Right. Creepshow true. didn't have the best stories, although I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, and Christine is not, like, top tier Carpenter, but sure. it's still good. It's still, it's still Carpenter. good. It's better than other movies. Um, and we also, we not already talked them, about some. my distaste for Brian De Palma, but I, yeah. I do admit Carrie is a good movie. Yeah. Um, but no, so far, so far it's been at least decent. Um, but there have been a couple of real, I think, harbingers of things to come. Yes. We'll see. But the question I want to ask first, before either of us say anything, is Amanda, yes. if you uh, had to answer which thesis Firestarter uh, supports. <laughs> What would you say? Man. Well, it's tricky because I feel so split about Firestarter. Um, because, oh, I feel split like, the, like first a log half, in a fireplace. the first half supports Jim's thesis and the second half supports your thesis. Uh, oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I, I, I don't know if I would say half exactly, but I agree with that sentiment. <laughs> Yeah, it's it might not be half. It's like it's the the point where um we we switch from like being dad and daughter on the run uh to like dad and daughter trapped in like a colonial uh, uh prison basement uh yeah. that I stopped caring completely. Uh and and up until that point I've been super enjoying it. Uh Okay. So I feel like I was really loving the first half. And I still have been thinking about the first half. The second half, I can barely remember at this point. Uh, uh, and I think, I, I think it's, I think, I don't know. That's my, I don't know that it supports either thesis really strongly. Uh, <laughs> for that reason. Although I, maybe, I, maybe I, it's more Jim's. Or, um, I'm sorry, Jason's. Jason's, yeah. No, for sure. I, would I, say I will balance. say, though, the second half has the most George C. Scott in red face, which is at least memorable. Yeah. And, what I thought was fascinating about that run of the movie is that George C. Scott can can give a speech, you know? When he's mm-hmm. like, I'm going to say four lines in a row, you're like, wow, that guy is really saying those lines. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. But, like, he's his character working. is such a mistake. Yes. Uh, he also, you say he's in red face. I thought for the entire movie, until I saw his, his, like, fake native last name in the credits, I thought he was supposed to be Steven Seagal in 2019. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just so, dressed as, and that's whose hair he has, and that's how he They does. don't really lean on it, so I didn't know if you would notice that he was in red face, but 
but yeah. he is one hundred percent supposed to be playing a Cherokee. Yeah, yeah. It, That's it's fascinating. In the, in the, the vibe I was getting from name. him the whole time was that he was a white dude who had like an unhealthy fascination like a weird fetish. Yes. with like Native Americans. Uh, uh, but I think that's the way out, it plays for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but if that, yeah, maybe all along that was just Stephen King. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I felt secretly like, the twist is that Stephen King is the one who well, has the weird obsession with Native, yeah, yeah. Native Americans. To be fair, I don't think Stephen King wrote the book. And when describing Rainbird, said he looks like George C. Scott, but <laughs> with redder skin. Sure, sure, sure. But I think uh, Amanda is, I think, uh, leaning at the at the general idea that there is sort of a. There was sort of a runner of like weird native. Oh yeah, I'm not going to say fetishism would, necessarily, but like you know, like The Shining is built on a bare ground, and like this guy's a weird yeah. magic native man, and I, I think there might be an I don't know. It feels like it's a thing that is slowly mm-hmm. developing in the ooze. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, I haven't read Firestarter, so I couldn't say how the character develops really there. My understanding is that this is a movie that is faithful almost to a fault mm. to the book in terms That's what it of felt like when you were watching it yeah. I'd never read the yes. book but I was like ugh this is we're clearly trying to stick to something yeah yeah, Cause, yeah. yeah. and even I think Stephen King has said that it's his least favorite adaptation mm. partially because it didn't make itself a movie yeah, it's like it they didn't just like slavishly it. copied the book and with the case of another movie like Firestarter which was the book literally exactly Point to point, it is the book. I think it's a failure because it doesn't have the sparkle in the life of the novel. Because that, like, I agree with Amanda's assessment where, like, the beginning where it's, like, this, like, lovely father-daughter duo and they're on the run and they're, like, they're going through the sequence where it's, like, he can control people's brains, but instead they're just being sweet and charming and, like, hanging out with that old farm couple. That whole sequence where they're on that farm with that old couple is so delightful. I did like the farm couple sequence. Um, but then they're, they're captured and they're held in this, like, unit and tested. And for that whole stretch, it feels like... It feels like you're like, oh, if I could tell what they were thinking, this might be interesting. But right. but like as a as a thing to observe, it's just so deeply boring for an hour and a half or however long it is. Eight hours. I, I have thoughts about that. I have things to say about that. But but let's back up for a moment and just say Ugh. what 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 fire what is a fire just starter? Pause what? it and watch the movie. <laughs> that, I mean, I'm hoping that everybody's watching along with us. Oh but my just God, the I short hope version. Not, man. Can you imagine can you imagine being like, Well, it's October, every day I'm gonna watch two hours of Stephen King movie and then listen to another forty five minutes of two jackasses talking about Stephen King movies that I just watched. What a nightmare. Of, what a I nightmare of worse lives. <laughs> um Summer I can think of worse lives. We could be doing this on John Grisham movies. Oh true. Oh my god, I, I want that one. <laughs> every day in in Grish Fember we're doing a John Yes, Grisham they deserve movie. to die and I hope they burn in hell. <laughs> Is that that movie only comes around once, though. I don't know what movie. That <laughs> and then the rest are <laughs> a time to kill, Jim. I'm Samuel Jackson's finest moment. I'm not that cool. <laughs> that was heartbreaking. <laughs> um, Wait, so Firestarter. Ta- what is Firestarter? <laughs> Firestarter is the story of a psychic dad and his pyrokinetic daughter, meaning she could start fires with her mind mm-hmm. uh, on the run from a shadowy government agency that made them this way and now want to possibly kill them, 
possibly exploit them. It's not always clear, even within the ranks of that organization. Um, they, they're they on the run for a while. They do a pretty good job, but then they get captured uh, because George C. Scott playing uh, the world's most violent man uh, and, like, expert amoral assassin yeah. uh, is good enough. In an leather jacket with, like, a tight yeah. front. Yes. Yes. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean his wardrobe is probably the best thing in the whole movie. He's he's yeah. able to capture them when no one else can because he uh, has some sympathy with the ferocity within uh, the daughter's soul. The daughter being played by a young Drew Barrymore, uh, he Who becomes killing it, killing True. it. Holy True. shit! Yeah, we're gonna talk about some Drew. Yeah. Um, he he becomes uh, the the organization wants the psychics for general organizational purposes. You know your standard CIA. We want to make a weapon or we want to study things. George C. Scott becomes deeply creepily uh, like borderline pedophilically obsessed mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. Drew Barrymore and the power that is within her, which he yeah. deems to be like the godlike power of life and death. Yeah. And he gets obsessed with both uh, obtaining and befriending that power and also destroying and eating and killing that power yeah. uh, and then the movie goes from there into it it's you know violent climax he gives and a whole speech a about crucial, how he i was gonna say you're missing a crucial piece of information about his kind of violence which is that he loves to sm- like smash people's nose bones <laughs> into yeah. their brains his like signature <laughs> move is to smack someone in the face yeah. and like so fragment bone into their frontal lobe. Yeah. That's uh, true. Early on, he kills a scientist that's giving the company... What's a, what, are they, what do they call themselves? The shop? The shop. Yeah. The shack. Yeah. The shop. So there's a scientist in the shop that's giving the leaders of the shop all kinds of guff, and George C. Scott kills him. You think he's going to do it in this way where it's like, you know, oh, he'll, he's an expert assassin and nothing will ever trace back to anybody yeah, yeah. because he's sneaking into his room at night and he's very quiet about it. Because but then he, he just like, waits. With a pillow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He waits for him to wake up, smiles at him, and then karate chops him to death in the face. Yeah. Again, Jason, again. Steven Seagal. I, his character is functionally modern day Steven Seagal. He's Absolutely. obsessed with like lavender and, and shades of indigo, and he dresses and pretending in, to be Native American. Yeah, and he has the ponytail. If he if it was dyed aggressive black, he would have been exactly Steven Seagal. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean when that's I was true. watching this, this character had an effect on like like my childhood, even though I never saw the film. It was a mm. huge deal, like on the playground at school, <laughs> to pretend to karate chop people in the face, and then to talk about how the bones were like going into their brain. It was like, yeah. watch Whoa. out, you hit someone hard enough in the nose, you're gonna like the bones are going to go up into your brain, and then you'll die. And I thought that was just like a common weird kid thing, but yes. it would have been like kids who had seen this movie <laughs> um, to speak so specifically about that on the playground. I have that uh, same experience. He, also, he describes it. Smash. Yeah. 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 He describes it explicitly, too. That's the yeah. thing, because you think then that the, the way he kills a scientist is just, like, a fun filmmaker flourish. But sure. then, no, the character obsessively talks about how he wants to do that to Drew Barrymore. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's, like, his thing. Yes. <laughs> like Amanda it's, said. It's, it's a really so, good speech, I think, where he's, 
he's talking about because he also has this like other fake character he plays in the movie John the custodian or whatever and he gives the speech in third person but as his character where he's talking about how he's going to befriend her uh, make her happy which you like will make her happy yeah only is that a a super shady sex thing or is he just gonna like I don't know that was really uncomfortable but then he's like when she's at her happiest he's gonna break her nose and he like fully describes the process of smashing someone's nose bones up and and then and he's like and I'm and she's gonna and he'll feel the power of her power and uh, they'll both die and you're like okay so he's planning on smashing her in the nose and she's gonna set him on fire and they're both gonna die at the same time but Mm -hmm. it's super unclear if he's trying to just wipe the power off the earth or if he thinks that's gonna make him some kind of god in the afterlife and I really like that sort of you're like oh I don't know exactly how crazy this man is I really like the ambiguity and it, yes. it feels weird to say these words but I like as a choice yeah. for this villain to make him absolutely definitely like pedophilically attracted and obsessed with her sure. like it makes him that it takes him past just like shop creep which is what Martin Sheen's playing and turns him into this completely <laughs> other level of not only evil but deranged and like weirdly uh emotionally involved with yeah. the person that he's going to horribly murder yeah um yeah he's at also the same time i wanted sorry i keep interrupting you no it's fine uh, no no same, that's you should that's <laughs> at how the we same work. time i really wanted i i agree that i that there was a really lovely like darkness to him that was unusual and unexpected uh but i wanted to maybe suspect there was hope for him to change during that period mm. of time where he is like playing this character and so like becoming her friend uh and she believes him wholeheartedly and the yeah. whole time you never doubt that he is maybe uh like like changing how he feels he is he stays the same uh, and he doesn't yeah. change at all and i felt like what was missing was a sense that there was maybe a chance um that yeah. he would turn around and be on her side uh and i wanted to like have that kind of hope for it to hurt more when he like actually is terrible at the end um, sure. mm-hmm. but instead he was kind of a single he was at the same volume the whole time he was at the same like emotional tenor uh and i wanted some variety in there i wanted him to be a little more um uh, uh i guess uh flexible more human <laughs> uh yeah <laughs> yeah he is he's just a force right he like isn't yeah. given the chance to be a character they're yes. just like this is the shape of a creature it is evil and the end right it's just mm-hmm. he just goes I, I also think we're dealing with a movie in which that's true of almost everyone in their lane. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like yeah, nobody yeah, yeah. changes. Nobody, nobody changes. is yeah. there. They are just performing the function that they need to fulfill. Like that role in the plot. The closest you get is Drew Barrymore and her squeamishness about using her power. Yeah. But they don't really play it. Like nope. if that if the movie was done right you should be absolutely emotionally devastated by what she has to do at the end yes. in killing all of these people. And instead, it's just a pyrotechnic show. Yeah. You're also like, oh, finally, a thing is happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This, guys, this movie's really boring. <laughs> I was shocked, actually, that you said the first half was more interesting because I, I almost didn't make it to the second half. Oh, and really? part of that is because, well, Drew absolutely is killing it. And I still yeah. want to spend a lot of time talking about, like, yes. the degree to which she's killing it. Sure. The dude playing her dad. David Keith. Is, famous actor David Keith. Thank you. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> David Keith. Famous 
<laughs> for no good reason. Well, because he's almost Keith David. Sure. <laughs> he's so boring and so bad at acting <laughs> that none of those scenes worked for me. Mm. Except for, like, the farm couple, and that's because the farm couple's great. The farm I couple is so good. I didn't buy a single thing he did in the whole movie. See, I, I read, and this is... This is me maybe being generous. I read uh, Andy, the dad, um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, as being an inept dope. And that's part of why she is in so much danger. Is that, <laughs> Absolutely. Is that he's yeah. just, he's terrible at everything. Uh, and so I read that as like this like flaw <laughs> um, <laughs> in the character. But also it's true that I don't know if he could have played it any other way. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. Like, I think that is a flaw in the character, but I still, like, you can play a dope or you can play somebody who's not really competent at this. Cause I, I actually kind of like that because most people thrust into a situation like that are not going to be competent at all the things they need to do to sure. survive. It's one of those, you know, movie things that people become hyper-competent. And it, it's nice to have a movie where people are sort of fumbling through and they're just scraping by yeah. and they don't really, like, they have this amazing thing that they can do, but they don't really know how to make the best use of it. Mm-hmm. Um also, his I'm, I'm idea to save them. That. His idea to save them is just to tell newspapers, which is a terrible idea. Well, it's a full nonsense idea. To be if, fair, this was 1984, movie, and we thought that that would still work. Is that true? Okay, yeah. Maybe there was more optimism. I was the the movie ends with her murdering everybody, and then going back to that beautiful farm couple, and I was like, oh, she's gonna get the normal life, which is the thing she wanted to be a normal person. And yeah. then they're like, just kidding, we're gonna go tell the New York Times, and you're like, what are you doing? Now she's yeah, gonna yeah, get yeah. pulled back into a lab. Just just raise her like a little lady Superman. Yeah, Jamie, you said I, something uh, oh, no. when you watched it that I think is probably true, which is that I suspect okay. the original ending was just oh, Jason's gone. Yeah, you left. It's okay. Um, we can keep talking. Right. I'm here. I'm oh. back. <laughs> hey. Uh, raise, like a, raise her like a lady Superman was the last thing I heard. Oh, okay. I suspect that uh, J- uh, something Jim said when we watched it uh, was that uh, that ending uh, where we see them go to the New York Times feels like something that was filmed after they got a bad audience like <laughs> test screening where people were yeah. like, but what when happened? Like like, what about yeah. the plot? Uh, and um, it felt like they were like, the oh, we need to tie up this, this last little thing. Uh, when all I really wanted for her to do was just like feed chickens for the rest of her life. Right? Yeah. Um, no, that, like, that much I do know is from the book although in the book oh really i can't i'm, I'm not sure because i haven't read it i'm not sure i just read about it i don't know if he actually has a scene where she goes it's probably just handled in like narration of what she decided to do and it's not shown you know shown in the book um the one thing that is fun about it is that she doesn't go to the new york times she decides to go to rolling stone because she decides that they're more impartial that's really funny and have better political reporting real zing real zing from stephen king yeah uh, but then of course if it's a movie it's the new york times um, but yeah, this is, I mean, this Can definitely used to be a thing in movies. Like, it, it seems so quaint now, but yeah. I, like, movies always used to, I definitely grew up believing that if you could just get the information to the newspapers, then you could stop whatever was happening. Well, there are also contexts where that makes sense, but when it's like this one person has crazy superpowers that are outside of the realm of normal humanity and scientists want to do tests on them, then I think the newspaper would report that and everyone would be like, yeah, 
yes, you should do tests on them. You know what I mean? It's well, not I, like I think it was also reporting about how they did it to them. It's like basically it's uh, like okay. reporting on MK Ultra. Okay, but you also know? I don't think Drew, does Drew Barrymore know that story at the end of the movie? What is she going to tell them? She's going to be like, oh, I'm six. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> or for all I know, she knows everything. Her dad, maybe her dad passed everything onto her psychically. I don't know. If they if they were going to put a button on this movie, it should have been a button where it cuts to her at 16 years old tending the farm and then like warming up a pot of food because she was out feeding the cows too late and everyone already ate breakfast. You know what I mean? And she just like sweetly so, like, super smiles control, and says to warms herself, it up and then eats back some. off. Yeah. <laughs> back off, uh, baby. Yes. Yeah. Roll credits. Oh, I, see, yeah. Do you want to talk about Drew? Just imagining that. Right? It's a way better ending. I, like, you would I have to change the rest character. of the movie also, but... Mm-hmm. Um, Jason, I have to make an admission to you, which is that we, st- starting with the first episode of this terrible, terrible podcast that we're doing, uh, mm-hmm. we we talked about the movies we had seen, and I this was on my list of movies I had seen. But when I started watching this, I realized that in fact I had, I didn't see this movie. My sister saw it and described it to me. Um, <laughs> oh, that's amazing! <laughs> when we were both children, she must have been she was probably eleven and I was eight or something. Uh, that math works, and. Uh, and so what I, my perception of it, I was just thinking about this because when, whenever you describe the movie, you sort of describe him as a psychic and her as a, as a pyrokinetic, which is what, when my sister described it, so my conception of this was that he could just make people blind and she could only set fires and that there was a guy who was chasing them who would punch people's nose bones into their brains and kill them. Um, but in fact, he only does that punch one time and then describes it in great detail later. And the the dude can make people do anything. I feel like that's an important distinction. He can like make people do or see or think whatever. And yeah. Drew Barrymore seems to have whatever powers she needs, but is like the most in touch with the firepower. I think that's an important because she like knows when they're coming for them and she can like sort of see into the future. It seems like she oh, has yeah. sort of ill-defined other psychic powers. Right? Well, she's the, 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 fire she's the genetic product the, of the two strongest uh, right. outputs of that program, right? Andy right. and Heather Locklear. And Morgan Fairchild. Oh, right, Heather Locklear. I was going to say Morgan Fairchild, but that's just a different <laughs> person, person they reference on Wayne's World. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Jim, I feel like you bring up a good point, which is that the rules of their supernatural powers yeah. uh, feel flexible in order to be convenient, uh, but... Um, limitless in a way that that lowers the stakes uh sure constantly i'm never worried that they're not going to get their like get out of this situation uh well right the only obstacle in the whole movie right is that in the middle they put the dad on drugs where he doesn't have access to his power and then he's like pretending not to have access yeah it's hard to tell right but then he's like i'm gonna stop taking these drugs now i have my powers again hey guy who's in charge of everybody let's get out of here and the guy who's in charge of everybody's like sure okay you know, it's like, as soon and, as they have their powers, there is no obstacle at all. Mm-hmm. And talk about something that could have been handled probably in, like, two minutes worth of film, as opposed to 22. That of whole him, middle section of the movie? Uh, yeah, well, no, just uh, the the whole plot of him, like, taking the drugs, and then being forced to take more drugs, and then being tested, and then talking yeah. to himself in the mirror about how he's not going to take drugs, and then not yeah. taking drugs, and then, oh my god, it took forever. Yes. Yeah. Everything in this movie took forever. It's it felt like slow. six hours long. Mm-hmm. Um, I got I got I, real bored near the end. Yeah. Uh, also, speaking of things taking forever, it felt to me like Drew Barrymore's magic firepower, mm-hmm. or her psychic firepower, took 
a really long time to start. Like she's a fire starter, but it's like a like slow every time start. she does it. Yeah, every time yeah. she does it, it <laughs> takes a while, and it takes long enough that I'm that I don't quite buy that it's a that it's something that would be as dangerous to people as you think. Like like she, there's enough time for people to like get away from her. There's enough time sure. for. Um, to like move out of her gaze yeah or it, or to like shoot her with another dart and like send her to sleep like it seems like like uh, well, Amanda you should probably consider though is there enough time for them to stand and scream no 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 please no, no yes. and also get away from her that's true probably not you're right there are, there are social applications involved yes. in being set on fire yeah 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 uh-huh Ugh. Um, one thing I really love was the way in which uh, her hair gets blown out of her face when mm. she's using her power. Yeah. Uh, so she it can almost see seems like we change lenses. Um, and her hair is maybe a wig in those moments. And oh, yeah. the, the, like, the, the, she's being, there's air coming at her from in front of her. Um, yeah. And uh, those moments were great. I loved, I loved those beats where yeah. <laughs> oh, she's absolutely. like becoming psycho Drew Barrymore. Yeah, I agree that those are nice, and I also feel like maybe this is just me and my like 2019. I, I grew up in whatever eating whatever media I ate, uh, but I always want things like that to go. I feel like if if her hair in those moments was like, oh god, I don't even know the reference I want. In Singing in the Rain, there's that lady and she dances and her the train on her dress is like 30 feet long and flying in the air. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, in that weird, if, like, bridge moment. It, yeah, if her hair was like that. If they were like, we cut to her and now her hair is 20 feet long and like blowing up every, you know what I mean? Like, for me, that's the best version of those moments. I, I wish they pushed harder. You know what I mean? If you're gonna make her hair inexplicably longer, like, why stop? That's what I want. I honestly would really like to take this movie and like trim out 35 minutes sure. uh, and like cut it down into something much more svelte because I think it has some really nice beats uh, and it has some like like I, I want the farm family to be more central I want like yes. certain human interactions to be more central I like yeah. want to trim down red face uh, uh, what's his name George Rainbow? C. Scott uh, yeah no, who knows see it's like, hard for me to like, argue forever losing a, any George C. Scott <laughs> <laughs> I yes because I have to say, I was most entertained when he was on screen. Mm. Sure. I, uh, Amanda, you had mentioned also earlier something, uh, I don't exactly remember, but like a restructuring where you were, uh, thinking about like killing the dad earlier and like putting the, or like putting the big, her big fire moment more in the center of the film so that then, because what's oh, yeah. interesting, right, is like her grappling with, with her. With becoming a monster. Yeah. It, unless it's going to be, unless there is an actual obstacle that can stop them, which there isn't, right, in, in this mm-hmm. movie, uh, then what is interesting is them coping with it. And, like, he doesn't have to, but she does. And so, yeah, yeah. like, putting that big big f- murder everyone in the whole compound moment more central, then you have a second half of a movie with the best actor in the film, Drew Barrymore, uh, yeah. coping with her, with her destructiveness. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like the... the like level of destruction that she's capable of we needed to know earlier that that she could do that yeah. uh, uh and i do feel like i she was most interesting to, i mean she was interesting the whole time can we can we right now talk about her performance yes because because she blew me away she was amazing <laughs> uh 
I felt like there there was like a there, there's a quality to chil- children to young actors today. A lot of them have been trained on like a Disney model of performance um, that's very stagey and very like uh, uh, you're indicating a lot. Sure. Uh, and and there was something about her that felt like she wasn't even thinking about acting. She was just like, oh, and now I respond. Like yeah. like I she was she was reacting the whole time. Uh, which mm-hmm. felt it felt really natural to me. Uh, there were certain beats where you could tell that like something weird was going on set, or maybe she was like unhappy that day. She was being a kid, and you could sure. tell that she was like a little more stagey. And I think that often was when she was when they were in the shop, uh, sure. and she like wasn't interacting out in the world. Um, but for the most part, I thought she was amazing. Yeah. Some of those are probably like, uh, you know, she's like acting against Martin Sheen and, and yeah. he, he was goofing it up and they were like, all right, eighth take. And she was like, yeah. Ugh. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. We haven't even uh, mentioned that Martin Sheen's in this movie yet. <laughs> he's almost, he's almost in this movie. He's more like set dressing. He it's like, yeah. <laughs> he's a mood more than a character. Yeah, Absolutely. He, just, he blows through like a like a stiff uh-huh. breeze. Yeah, which is too bad because there's that lovely sequence when they introduce him where he's just riding his bicycle on the ground. Oh, just, I, like, I know. I got so that. excited for that. Yeah. yeah, which was so fun. And then yeah. he goes in and he's just Martin Sheen again. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he just gets yeah. overwhelmed by George C. Scott. Uh huh. Yeah. Which but makes no, sense. But- George C. Scott didn't seem like he was acting with anybody. He was very much yeah. like, and I am here. I <laughs> fill up I everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, just to, to get back to Drew, I, I feel like I find I first of all, I feel like I finally got the uh, stardom that she mm. achieved as a kid because I'd never seen so. this movie. I'd seen E.T. I'd seen other stuff. But this really was like, e. I mean, she's fine, but she's younger and yeah. she's she's just like a cute machine in E.T. Mm-hmm. This okay. is a real job. And yeah. you can also tell why, or at least partially why, she maybe had some trouble later on. Because no child should actually have to go through the uh, <laughs> emotional experience of acting like that sure. to that level in a role like this or in a movie like this. It actually, this is Amanda, another runner in this show. Um, but it, I had a really hard time watching her scenes because mm. I apparently can't watch children be sad or in danger anymore. <laughs> oh, I believe that. <laughs> I'm a father. Oh, so you I, had a hard time, like, personally. Yeah, like, like, I had a hard time watching it of just, like, I can't, I don't even like this movie, but I can't deal with the emotions that I'm feeling right now for her. Mm-hmm. And, like, on her behalf. Um, yeah. Honestly, I don't think I mentioned it yesterday, but Children of the Corn, even, as terrible and really? clumsy as that was, it, when there were the moments of, like, oh, man, maybe they're going to kill some kids, I was like, no, that's not, I can't <laughs> deal uh, but yeah, but she was so good and so. I think you really hit the nail on the head when you're talking about how she's reacting all the time. She's so open and responsive mm-hmm. to what's happening that I just I I was so terrified for her, not just physically but emotionally, constantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And you know immediately that she's gone through some shit. She had there's that beat yeah. in the is it the airport where she's like she's like and I. I killed mommy. Like, she's like, yeah. like there's, this is like heavy, 
heavy, heavy material. Oh, yeah. Um, and how old was she? Like, like seven, eight? Uh, I'm, actually, no, I'm going to say she was probably like nine. Yeah. Um, but, but it was... It was a lot, and she was acting against grown adult men who were all, all of their characters were, like, failing her deeply <laughs> in some way, um, yeah. if not r- outright exploiting her. Yeah. Uh, yeah, or, like, preying on her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I can imagine watching a lot of things is probably hard now that you're a parent. Evolutionarily, <laughs> like, the world, <laughs> all of your, like, internal indicators are, like, protect this. <laughs> yeah, protect it's, just, small it's, things. it's been surprising me how extreme it's been. And I keep thinking that when I recognize it, then it, I can put it away. Because yeah. I can watch all kinds of stuff, but now I just, like, man, if there's kids and something bad might happen to them, I am not into it. Yeah. Also, I'd like to mention that the way she was styled here was really nice. Uh, yeah. The, yeah, all of her outfits are solid. Yes. Yeah. Her outfits and the way they were dealing with her hair, I feel like you couldn't see a kid... Uh, like leading a feature film and be that like messy and that was yeah. like legitimate messy she yeah. uh they didn't brush her hair on purpose uh and yeah. and i feel like there's a certain level of like a child in current content is only protectable or like can only really be a hero in that sense um if they are like uh like very specifically styled um and like like you would see and and this is uh, I'm talking about like mainstream action type movies. Like, like mm. kid characters are like like Disney cute. Uh, yeah. Yes. And and they were letting her be like a kid who like looks like they're not really getting a lot of like hygiene. Uh, <laughs> and I think it it made her feel even more real. And I, I was really into it. Yeah, for sure. I I, there, there's there's enough things about this movie like that that it really bums me out that the whole thing just kind of lays there. Yeah. And it's so yeah. long and it's so just doesn't ever really come to life. It is it's a shame. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many good elements. Uh yeah, and they just never pull together. The threats of these the threat the threats that these uh like psychics pose in the world of Firestarter are mm-hmm. almost biblical. Um, they like jump from being like geopolitical to being like <laughs> like fire and brimstone, yeah. uh, which is interesting because that's also how uh, Rainbird's character works. Mm-hmm. It's very like like he jumps to like primal, like deep, almost like like animal fable sort of threats yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. of like I want to see the power in her eyes and carry it with me into the underworld. Like that's some like biblical oh, dark yeah. stuff. Uh, and I thought that was really interesting to see play out in a situation where there's a secret government organization, but the government seems to have no power. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Also, Jim made a really n- nice observation when we watched it, which was that all of the bad guys at the shop are wearing different kinds of suits yeah. instead of all wearing the same suit, which you would see today. Oh, like, yeah. Like, what's scary is the uniformity of, of all the Agent Smiths in the Matrix. But yeah, exactly. in this particular situation, they all look like they came from different offices in different, like, on different blocks in Chicago. And so... Yeah. It's just a bunch of bureaucrats. Yeah. 
Um, and that's all menacing in a different way because it's like the world conspiring against you instead of yeah. like a single organization conspiring. Uh, yeah, again, the eccentricity nice. suggested by Martin Sheen on the bicycle at the beginning yeah. could have had a lot more follow through. Yeah, and it, and it and it's it's also gesturing to it with that the different yeah. outfits. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, well, I'm. <laughs> I think it's time I, for the fire ender, Jason. I think it is too. I this, this fire. I, I really, you know, I don't want to be proven right, but I think we're heading into the doldrums, Jim. No, this was a bad spot in a great run. <laughs> uh, what was what was yesterday? Uh, uh, more. It was the same. Ba- it was the prelude to the bad spot. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see where it goes. Um, Amanda, yeah. thank you so much for joining us here. Thank you, Medium. It was my pleasure. Good luck on the rest of your October journey. Uh, Can you... You live nearer to Jim. Can you check on him in a few weeks and just make sure he's alive? Yeah, I try to do that every couple of weeks. Um, I'll just make sure to let you know. Okay. Uh, yeah. Because I, I talk enough that I could call him and just have the whole my side of the conversation and not realize that he's not responding. <laughs> No, I do uh, worry sometimes that something's fallen on him. I'll check. Okay, thank you so much. Um, <laughs> yeah. But this has been the weekender for Hell to the King. We will start a new week next week, tomorrow. It's time means nothing and space is a myth. <laughs> <laughs> join us. Join us in our deep, dark hell of our own making. <laughs> to the uh, king. To the uh, hell of our own making. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Hell to the King is a special presentation of the Synesthesia Podcast, produced by Iguana Donald Studios and distributed by Split Tooth Media. Music by Loyalty Freak. Hell to the King is recorded before a live studio audience. Our studio is made of cardboard, and it is on the sidewalk outside Stephen King's house in Bangor, Maine. Hey, Stephen. Look out the window. Look at us, Stephen. Look at what you've done. No, no, no. <laughs> Please, no. no. Yeah. Shoot.